This episode of Have You Got 5 Minutes is sponsored by Banana Tag, the internal communications platform that allows you to create and send professional employee communications in minutes. To find out more, visit bananatag.com. I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got 5 Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast. Answering things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi Harriet, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now I feel like our topic this week kind of aligns with what you've been up to because you've gone back and done some yoga with actual other humans in person. And we're talking about well-being at work being more than just putting on a yoga class. Discuss. (laughs) So I've seen a lot of threads and I guess it's also some of the things I've seen in-house and other things around people saying, you know, we're just being given employee assistance program or people saying, oh, go and do yoga class or take up meditation. But I think it's deeper than that, especially when you're looking at a well-being program in-house or if you're an agency and you're trying to think about how do you support your staff. And I always think about it of what's actually the underlining problem for people. Is it the amount of work? Is it them not knowing how to manage their workloads? Or is it the sheer volume of the work they're being given? Is it not clear communication within the team? Is there a lot of chaos? But there's also other issues. Is there racism going on in the workplace, misogyny, microaggressions? Are people struggling with things like debt? Somebody recently got divorced because the algorithm is giving me a lot of content on divorce. I don't know why. What are you doing, Harriet? I know. There's a host of things that could be making someone's mental health really bad at work. And I think just giving them a solution straight away without looking at the underlying problems doesn't really help. I think it's an interesting one because when you talk about health and like, we, I know we talk about gym, whatever, but it's equivalent for me of like being able to eat everything you want, fast food, junk food, whatever you want, and then doing like one spin class once a year and then being back to what everything else and just expecting you to be healthy and mental health the same thing like it's something you have to practice regularly like it's a health thing it's like you have to be consistent so just having been really stressed out and and having lots of work on all year round having one day off where you're encouraged to I don't know pet a dog that comes into the office and like and do a yoga class that doesn't work and I think people are kind of seeing through some of those attempts at workplace well-being so yeah I just think it's something that's got to be put in in a consistent way and like you say look at other issues so it's kind of like okay these are some of the other things that we're doing to try and improve well-being and talk about issues it might be screen time like we've been spending on average you know 10 minutes more per meeting because there's those kind of awkward hellos and random zoom goodbyes and you don't have like if your meeting's finished often you'll just wait to the end and just chat because you've had that hour blocked out and you're not walking between meetings all those kind of things like I covered an event this past weekend and I was on my screen and my phone all weekend and my eyes were killing I was like actually so many people working digital will have had this all the time through lockdown there's just lots and lots of stuff there I think rather than just yoga class but the yoga class is still good I think as well it's understanding why people don't speak up because there will be a lot of people who are struggling with mental health and they will not speak up no matter how much you try and say okay yeah call it employee assistance program or something else because there's fear that if they do speak up they may lose their job someone may think they're incompetent you know at the moment there's a lot of people who are thinking about livelihoods and and keeping food on the table for their families so they're sort of like do I say anything will it affect my career prospects but then there's also the whole thing around 
do managers know how to spot things and are people in that position to be able to see that someone's struggling because we're all so far apart we're not close to each other so whereas before someone could come in and you could sense that there was something wrong with them now you may only see the person on a zoom call they may have their camera on they may not have their camera on you don't know if they're struggling and anyone can fake half an hour on a zoom call for a team catch-up or one-to-one yeah i also think like the the, just go back to the whole well-being and kind of lifestyle stuff of work culture eat strategy for breakfast and it's quite used far too often but you know it's one thing when employers go yeah we're doing a cycle to work scheme and we're going to encourage you to do these runs and then someone does it and it's like oh they're away from their desk they've gone to a fitness class over lunchtime and it's not socially acceptable they've left work to do a sport or you know I know a graduate actually who'd got a placement really excited the person who spoke to was like look I play some professional I want to do this at the weekends all fine when he got there there was a different person managing him and it wasn't okay with them actually I want you to stop your football because I want you to work on Saturday and all this kind of stuff and I think if you're going to do something those policies have to be in place that it isn't just something that you say you do it's something culturally that you have to work on as a a team and that's the same as mental health like how you're looking out for people how you talk and share about issues that other people have kind of risen before and your own stories as well I think can help if you're in a management position. Yeah and I guess I remember when we spoke to David at the end of last season and I selfishly asked him about being really strict with well-being and I really liked what he said about you have to be really strict with it because you do need time to rest to rejuvenate to sort of relax I don't know whether you remember sort of earlier in the year when that Goldman Sachs deck came out yeah, like 70 odd hour a week yeah it's just crazy you know and I know that people will say oh but if I work hard now then I'll get ahead and that kind of thing but you're doing long-term damage to yourself yeah, so it's just about being really strict with things. So even like lunchtime, what time do you start? What time do you finish work? You know, you've got to be able to put those parameters in place. And I think also is, is comparison is, is literally a thief of joy. You, you may be comparing your work ethic to somebody who's 20 years ahead of you, who has a EA and who schedules all their meetings and all they have to do is sit in a meeting and make decisions. Whereas you have to do the work to do the deliverables, also be in the meeting. So it's about understanding where you are versus where somebody else is and comparing your schedule to theirs. This episode of Have You Got Five Minutes is sponsored by Banana Tag, the internal communications platform that allows you to create and send professional employee communications in minutes. To find out more, visit bananatag.com. This week, we have Dev Mystery, who's an internal communications exec at Virgin Media. He specialises in relationship management and engagement. He has a background in PR roles in the automotive industry at Honda and Subaru UK. So as we're on internal comms this week, I wanted to ask you the controversial question. Did you fall into internal comms or did you choose it? I fell. I felt hard. Um, <laughs> so we did it. I remember doing it at uni. I remember studying internal comms as part of a PR degree. And I just thought, oh, this sounds so boring. Like, why would I ever want to do it? And it was actually while I was on my placement at Honda that my supervisor actually did internal communication. So I did everything. I just reported into a lovely lady called Emma Tootill. And I learned a bit about what she did. And I, I just really enjoyed it. So I had a really great time in placement. And then when I got invited back to Honda, after I graduated, there was an opportunity to come back in the team and Emma had left and they needed someone to take on internal comms. And they said, look, this is a really good opportunity to create something new, do your own thing with it. So I I fell into it. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not going to lie. So I was probably doing really basic comms for like basic internal comms for about a year until I really started looking 
know, what strategy was and how best to kind of utilise it to motivate employees, but also motivate the business as well. Although I do feel like you're being modest because before we jumped on this, you shared that you actually had internal comms in your blood from being a greeter as one of your first jobs. <laughs> I blocked that out of my mind for a long time. Honestly, like my friends used to come in and I used to say hi to them. But what I did master was doing tannoy announcements. And I like still to this day, I can do like perfect tannoy announcements. Like it's just ingrained in me. But I always knew like I was a people person always have been like always been the talkative one in classes always been the one who networks I really enjoy getting to know people and making friends and just like chatting and to an extent that is what internal comms is it's getting to know people it's networking and it's understanding like how people work how they're involved in something etc and that's one of the core skills I think of internal comms is understanding who you're talking to I think internal comms chose you Deb (laughs) so um, there are some people who think that internal communications has had a bit of a revival over the past 15 months particularly with us all being kind of stuck at home and I guess the remit being greater now we've had that chance to sort of capitalize on that do you think we've got an opportunity to do more with internal comms now we've had the year we've had? Oh, 100%. I genuinely think people forget that internal comms is an integral part of the public relations mix. I think a lot of times people just brush it to the side and just think, oh, it's just sending out a few emails. It's just doing a few events. It's colouring and pasting. Do you know what I mean? Like, people don't understand why it's so important to get internal comms in right from the beginning rather than just seeing them as a a distribution function at the end. I think one thing the pandemic has taught us is actually how internal comms can be used to create a narrative. It can be used to drive certain emotions, but it can also be used to kind of bring people together to provide better outcomes and bigger outcomes as well. I don't think there's been that wider understanding of internal comms in a long time. And actually, people have really seen the benefits of using internal comms properly rather than using it as a quick means to send an email out that people didn't want to write themselves. And I'm very lucky to work for a business where internal comms has always had that level of understanding from senior leaders. But I think it's when we go down into the kind of different areas of the business, more people now understand what we do. And actually, more people want to find out what we do and get involved in it, which is really, really nice as well. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I love about it is, and, and it's that narrative, I think for a lot a long time, people have called us the poor relation. But I think over the last year, people have seen firsthand that if you don't get what happens in the organisation right, it will come out and then it will affect PR in a really disastrous way. You know what, 100%. Just on that, so everyone always calls internal comms the poor relation, and I don't understand why, because actually, whatever you're doing externally, how are you going to talk about that internally? If you only do something externally, you're expecting your people to find out about stuff through third parties. And how does that kind of make an employee feel? How does that generate trust within the business? But also, like, how does it look to other people outside of your business when your own employees don't know what's going on? So... Whenever people say we're the poor relation, I always think, actually, it's your poor understanding. We're very defensive about internal comms now as well. Yeah, in my organisation, we're now called the favourite child. (laughs) (laughs) Rightly so. (laughs) So I've seen a picture of you in this amazing jumpsuit, and apparently you were doing something internal comms related. So what's the story? So this goes back to us talking about narrative. And actually, one thing at Virgin Media, we had a really strong narrative. 
which revolved around a rocket and the North Star ambition. And kind of we used the rocket as a vehicle to tell our story and bring people along the journey with us. I'm not going to lie, there are moments where like some of the rocket stuff we did was really cringy. And I was on Wikipedia trying to learn about rockets and space travel. And like, I was like, how can I turn this into kind of a, a comms piece? So like even learning, like, I don't think I've ever Googled the words cockpit as much as I, I have done in the past time, 10 months to find out what's actually in a cockpit. <laughs> but we did this video about two years ago where we basically... It was like an empowering one. We were starting our journey and we got all of our board members to our executive committee in these red jumpsuits, um, like space ones, and then did this film, kind of really high production, got them all getting onto this rocket. And it was like symbolism of everyone else joining us on that journey. And actually kind of, we've gone into, we've just merged with the O2. So kind of, we were coming to the end of that rocket journey and starting a new one. So for our last production, we did something called Big TV, a quarterly TV show, which kind of talked about our priorities, talked about our journeys and brought it to life and gave examples. But I'm very lucky enough to present that with one of my kind of team members. And they were like, do you want to get in the jumpsuits? And I was like, uh yeah why not and honestly it was the worst decision because it didn't fit properly so for the whole thing I was like a robot with a really high neck and the crotch was really high and I was like I can't I was like I'm so uncomfortable but it looks so cool but it was part of those things that like really brought things to life for people and there was a lot of humor in there and it really sat with our kind of brand tone of voice and what we found is people understood the journey a lot more because it was a consistent message and they were given some visuals that, okay, might seem a bit cringy to some people, but actually you remember them. So you remember we're on our way to our North Stars. We've got boosters, we've got thrusters, we've got fuel cell. People understood how they fitted into that rocket and how they were part of that journey. Whereas before, while they were part of our journey, they didn't understand the whole journey. They only understood their bit. And actually, they were aligned to their own priorities rather than the businesses. So that's basically the story of the red jumpsuit. And I definitely got one of the professional kind of camera camera people to take the photo for me just to make sure it looked good because my selfie game isn't that great. <laughs> Disappointed you're not wearing the jumpsuit today, to be honest, Dev. <laughs> In the heat. Uh, it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the misconception of large budgets. I think, you know, when working in a large organisation, sometimes people think campaigns are made by the budget. What are the effective campaigns that you've run or seen that were done on quite a limited budget? So uh, I want to completely agree there. I think because we do some of the bigger events and we do do some of the bigger campaigns, people automatically think that we've got kind of unlimited budgets to play with and actually that's so not true usually we have the smallest and we really have to fight for it but what that does mean is that we are very ingenious in what we do I think the COVID pandemic has been really helpful in this way because actually we have had to think outside the box and we have had to think what can we do to engage people we've not got the same resource we've not got the same tools that we usually would how best to do it making the most of your channels mix is so important because actually understanding what your channels are and how people use them and tailoring your content to each of those channels is really important because if you put the same message out in the same format it won't land the same way but also your audience as well so someone in the field won't necessarily have the same time to look at emails or look at a long-form piece of content or a longer video than someone who might do in an office-based setting where they might have more scheduled breaks more time in between meetings so a couple of campaigns so I ran one recently called Mates Rates, which is about our people advocacy offering. So make, giving discounts out to friends of people at Virgin Media and stuff like that. And we created kind of a quarterly campaign that changed each time. So the first iteration was based around friends and we did like a little friends skit 
on WebEx, uh, so our version of Zoom, and we we were very honest about the quality of the recording. It was horrendous. I'm pretty sure like people froze about four times during this one minute call. We we built that as part of it, and we got really good uptake as part of it. Then the next iteration, we kind of linked in with some of our gaming offers that we do and made it more about our people and set some challenges. Each time we didn't have a massive budget. All of these were pulled off with just using some of the creative resources we had internally, teams, etc. And the incentives were part of the team's budget, not internal cons. But again, we had something like a 40% uplift in referrals just after that campaign came through. And then finally, the one we've just done has just been about summer and like seeing people and encouraging people to connect and challenging. And again, we've used the creatives to really push it, but there hasn't been a massive budget behind it. And we're still getting the results because we're talking to people in the right way. We're talking to sales managers. We're talking to our people and saying, here are the different ways you can refer. Here are some examples. This is what it means. So that's just one. And then I think another example of something that hasn't been massive budget, we did something called Mission Control Update, which was a campaign, but it was a a pack for managers, which gave them everything they needed to know about what was going on in the business for the past quarter, but what they also needed to look forward to. Again, like we managed to engage about 60% of our managers with this one pack. It was a PowerPoint deck. It was really simple. It was really easy to use. We put in like a little briefing session afterwards where they could ask questions and learn how to kind of build on it and make it their own. But that was just using our creative services team, whereby we had the in-house resource to create stuff. We made it look engaging. We found different ways. We created light versions for field sales teams and sales teams as well so they could do them in briefings but it was about giving it a clear objective as well and making sure that not only was it engaging but it actually had a purpose and that people understood what the purpose was amazing I feel like I've learned so much from you now I'm gonna be taking some ideas tomorrow my manager's gonna be like what's going on with this one she's got so many ideas why is Harriet in a jumpsuit (laughs) if you are in a jumpsuit I need to see that picture So one of the things I get asked a lot by other internal communicators when I speak to them or even across the organisation is how do we make internal communications much more inclusive? People always ask, where do I start from? How do I um, make things more accessible to different people? So I need to get your view on sort of if somebody was asking you that same question, what advice would you give them on where to start? There are so many places to start, but I think there's some really simple things we can do in terms of inclusion. I think it's really come to the forefront of all businesses over the past year. But actually, when we look at comms as well, I think sometimes we don't necessarily think about, are we being kind of exclusive in our comms? So are we are we leaving people out by accident? Simple stuff like whenever you're doing a video, do you have subtitles on already? Do you have closed captioning on? Do you provide a transcript? And I'll hold my hand up and I'll say, you know what, we didn't used to do that a couple of years ago but we've come on a journey and we've really tried to to make it more inclusive that way but it's also about listening to your people and seeing what they want so there's a lot of stuff that you can do proactively but when you get feedback and when you ask for feedback it's asking people what would make this more inclusive to you how can we make it even stuff like our branding we then ask people is this easy for you to read if you have a screen reader does it affect kind of the text that's being read out or is it putting you off is it really hard for you to kind of look at for a long period of time so asking all of those questions but then also implementing them proactively going forward having a checklist of things that you can do to make sure that your comms are inclusive each time really helps and then the more it becomes normal in terms of not needing a checklist it's something that you actually do the more inclusive your comms become 
I also think a tone of voice is really important in a business, but the language we use is really important. And I think sometimes we write. And as communicators, I'm really guilty. I love a bit of fluff. I love going into a thesaurus and being like, this is the word I'm going to use for the rest of the week. Like my dissertation, I think I used juxtaposition at least 40 times for no reason at all. <laughs> and my tutor called me and he was like, Dev, I'm really sorry. He was like, what does this word mean? And he was like, I explained it. He was like, okay, now your dissertation makes sense. But we exclude a lot of people sometimes when we use really big words or use really complicated words or use too many acronyms. And actually, sometimes the best way to make something inclusive is to write it in like the most basic language possible, still make it fun, but treating everyone like they need that information. They need to understand it quickly. If they have to read something three times to get a key message, then we've not done our job right. Plain English all the way. And leadership communications is a big part of the role. What lesson have you learned about being a trusted advisor to leadership that you wish someone had told you? Stand by my decisions. <laughs> I think sometimes we are... I don't know, I feel like I had a, little, a bit of imposter syndrome for quite a while because I didn't feel like my... I didn't feel like my opinion and my advice was going to be taken seriously because I was at a lower level or like I didn't look a certain way. And actually, like, I question myself and I say sorry quite a lot. I'm a sorry person and I'm not actually sorry. I just say it. So two pieces of advice for me was to not say sorry, never apologize. This is your advice. You are the professional. You are the expert in comms. So actually, when you go out to people, you say, like, my expert opinion is this is what we should do. Feel free to follow it. But if you want to do something else, that's up to you. But this is what I would do. But also use your voice like we have a voice at the table and if people aren't taking that seriously then that's something that needs to be addressed we are not employed to just be yes people and I think sometimes there's that intimidation that you that you need to be a yes person to get the job done and that's totally not true like say no and by saying no we can create better engaging communications because actually we know what works. That's really good advice. And you have an interest in relationship management and stakeholder engagement. How have you maintained or built those over the past year? Talking to people like as much as I can. I'm the type of person who will FaceTime you or call you without warning. And a lot of my team hate it. But at the same time, I'm like, I need to see your face. <laughs> like a lot of people have like fatigue from being on calls all the time. And I do too. And sometimes I'm them like, I've been on camera for eight hours a day. I cannot look interested for eight hours like my eyes are going to wander I'm going to I just need to turn off like the camera for a little bit and actually that's really helped in some relationships where I've said look we're going to have a call I'm actually going to call you on the phone because I don't want to be on camera and they're like you know what yes thank you because I don't want to be on camera either so that but also checking in on people and being okay with people who haven't talked to you for a little while so for me previously I used to do a lot of traveling so I was always seeing people at work I was seeing people in the offices and there was always that face-to-face -face interaction and I'd be like oh cool I'm in this office let me check if someone else is upstairs and I'll go say hi to them you don't do that if you're talking to someone on Webex or like a Zoom call you're like okay cool I've talked to this person you don't think who else might be upstairs who might be all of that stuff I, I would never think who else is upstairs on a Zoom call because that's very personal then but like it's more <laughs> it's more about just checking in with people and I just think sometimes it's just dropping the odd note to say hi or making a little bit of an effort or even saying like it's just about thinking who haven't I heard from in a little while? 
is everything okay in that area? Or just checking up. So I think they're really small. I'm sorry, I've given you a roundabout answer, but it is just about checking in on people sometimes. And even just being a bit more inclusive and like, now when I go to the office, I'm a feeder, I will always take a bag of chocolate with me and I'll give people a piece of chocolate. And I know that some people think thinks that sounds like I'm being like a suck up, but actually like people just enjoy a little treat and actually like it just gives them something nice to remember you by as well. It's that positive reinforcement, but also it is saying, look, I appreciate you a little bit. Like, I don't ever expect it back, but it is just nice to check in with people and just make them feel appreciated. Yeah, I agree with you. So what are some of those soft skills that you think internal comms pros need to be able to do the job? Ability to talk, sometimes waffle. Because a lot, of, I'm not going to lie, sometimes like we are fillers. So we are filling in for when other people are late or like on calls and stuff like that. But I think just having the ability to talk with people comfortably is really helpful. A lot of our work might be done via email or Teams, etc. But we are communicators at the end of the day and there is a lot of that networking. Again, the networking is really helpful. I think our job as internal communicators kind of revolves around story mining a lot of the time. And if we've not got a network of people we can just ask a question to, then actually it becomes really difficult to find those and everything seems a bit more contrived. I'd say another soft skill for me is it's about removing yourself from the politics of it. And I think it's a lot of the time internal communications we are now the middle person between stakeholders and we're being drawn in different directions whenever comms goes out or whenever there's projects and actually I think it's really important for us to just say let's focus on the comms here let's get rid of the politics what needs to be done what are the objectives and what do I need and actually from a prioritization and organizational point of view those are really key skills that you need to have because then you're not drawn into some of the other elements where it's good to get internal comms advice, but we don't own that. We don't have that decision-making power, but also we don't need to be in the drama. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of businesses have drama. We can't escape that. And then the last question is, what advice would you give somebody starting a role today in-house in this remote world? Learn about all the different comms aspects. Specialise in internal comms if you'd like to, but don't limit yourself you are never just going to be an internal person. Internal comms, the line between that and digital comms is blurring slightly as well, because whatever you say internally now will be released at the same time as something externally. Whereas like, even like when I was starting out about seven, eight years ago, we'd say something internally about an hour before we released it externally. Now you'd never dream of doing that because actually you're like, There are so many ways out, but also understanding how different parts of the business works and being very commercially minded will only ever help you because you understand the different processes, you understand the different stakeholder relationships, but you also understand how parts of your campaign or your comms can align with those different places, those different platforms, those different routes. And if you don't have that mindset right from the beginning, you really struggle when you move up the ladder and you try and understand different commercial processes or sometimes it's just understanding how people work or how businesses work so you're ready for the red tape and some of that is about setting your like 
your standards as well. I realised that right at the start that I was really let down by processes and I didn't understand why people were pushing back because I was like, this is what we should do and this is why it should work and this is why it will really engage. But I didn't understand the commercial mindset behind why we couldn't do some of these things or what the priorities were. And actually, it really helps you when you're planning a campaign to say, this is a really important comms objective. This is a really important business objective. What are the things that are going to stop us from doing that? How can we circumnavigate them? How can we plan so there is a plan B for them if something else goes wrong? And actually then you're able to deliver a campaign and while it might change and while it might be agile, it still provides the results. Whereas before it was pretty much, this is what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do and if you didn't do it, you'd fail. It's now about being a bit more agile. Thank you so much for this conversation. I have loved it. I've learned so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. We're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you. So DM us on social or get in touch with Harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself, Rebecca at threadandfable.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review, subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us. Find us on Twitter at RebeccaRobert7 or at Harriet Smalzy. Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.